Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan from Startups.com, joined by Will Schroeder, my friend and CEO of Startups.com. Will, we're going to talk about a tough topic today. Not that that's unusual for us. I think most of our topics are relatively tough. But this is one that uh, pretty much everybody ends up going through. Uh, nobody really talks about unless there's a huge success at the end. But it is really part of the process for, for most startups. And it's a particular interesting time to be talking about this because of COVID and, and because of the impact that's had on the business environment. And, and what we're talking about is the, the startup shutdown cycle. Right. And that this is something that that is kind of part of the process. Right. Many startups end up shutting down once, twice, three times in the course of finally finding their stride. And like, look, you've done this how many times now? Nine, 10, 11, 12 times over. <laughs> how often has the has the shutdown been part of the the the, the process of actually getting going? You know, it's surprising. It's kind of always part of the process. Now, and when I say that, a lot of founders don't realize that going bankrupt, going broke isn't something that just happens once. A lot of startups kind of run through this cycle, like you said, a few times, Ryan. In my case, first startup that I started, I went through the, the literally the bankruptcy cycle. I wasn't, I didn't file for bankruptcy, but I was bankrupt within 24 months of starting which isn't unusual. At the time, I didn't know. You know, There's no way to talk about it, and I couldn't compare notes with anybody. I just thought I was the, the only abject failure out there. And over time, as we've had an opportunity to talk to more and more founders, I mean, thousands of founders at this point, we're starting to realize that the startup shutdown, start back up cycle, and when I say start back up, I mean with the same business, is actually just part of the cycle. Yeah, it's, it's often, I mean, increasingly, we're hearing this called other things too, right? Like pivoting. Ah, the pivot. Right? right? It's not always, you know, a, a full-on shutdown or, or a pause of operations. But sometimes it is, right? If you're making a real hard turn on, on product or team or something like that, quite frequently, uh, that pivot is essentially equal to a minor shutdown, right? It is. And, and look, in, in my mind because I've been through this and you've been through this enough times, and I think we've had the benefit of talking to so many other founders so we can kind of live all these lives, we're a little bit more numb to it. It's not great. And one of the things I think, you know, we should probably caveat all of this by starting off with is <laughs> this isn't one of those situations where we're like the parents telling a kid, I know you're getting beat up in high school, but, you know, it's going to build character and you're going to be able to see your way through it as if that's <laughs> going to make the broken nose feel any different. Right. <laughs> I just want just point out, there's nothing we're saying here to say, hey, it's not a big deal or hey, it's okay or hey, don't worry about it, right? It is a big deal. It's stressful as hell. It's one of the, one of the toughest business and life moments to go through, and it's a nightmare. However, it's also kind of part of how all this goes. You know, and, and Ryan, I think like you'd equate it's like suicide drills, right? Yes. Yeah. Not something you want to do. You definitely don't appreciate it at the time. But when you're in the 88th minute of the game and you're still playing and you can still run, it starts to make sense, right? You're like, ah, oh, that was a necessary aspect of, of what I needed to do to get to this point to be able to do this. But yeah, but when you're doing it, it sucks. And it's also not relegated to just newbie founders. You know, again, people tend to forget that Elon Musk, even though he had his brief stint as the world's richest man and might get back there someday again, 
he was also the world's brokest man. Uh, yeah. he was he was going through <laughs> bankruptcy proceedings himself yeah. in the mid two thousands. People tend to forget that part. You look at people like Brian Chesky. I mean, we did this amazing, amazing interview that we hosted on uh, on startups.com. And if you go on there, you can find this in Brian Chesky from Airbnb. This amazing uh, interview where he basically said, look, everyone understands the way Airbnb is now, but people don't know about the part where I'm living in my, in my parents' basement. They don't know the part where I was eating cereal that I had sold in this one thing, this little scheme to try to make some money um, and had a bunch <laughs> left over and were eating it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Living right? like, his Obamos. Oh, they, my God. People kind of overlook those parts. Yeah. And the point is, if you're going through this right now, and many people are, just understand, even though it sucks, and it does, the richest, most successful people also went through it. And they had no idea at the time what the other end was going to look like. I mean, it, it's such an abyss at the time, but I think what I'm hoping people will take away from this right now as we unpack this and try to understand it is there is another side to this. You know what I mean? Yeah, the thing we have to remember is that we analogize startup companies in a lot of ways, right? It's a sports match. It's you know trying to win the Super Bowl. And I, I think the sports one is interesting. I'll stick there for a second. It's not a game that we're playing in. Right. And it's not, you know, we, we actually in a, in a previous uh, podcast we referred to as kind of like the first quarter, the second quarter, the third quarter, the fourth quarter. And, and it's not quite correct. Right. Because this is a what you're really building is a sports franchise. Right. That has to come back season after season, game after game. And there are going to be losses. There are going to be times where, you know, it, it just goes horribly for, for years or, you know, if you're the Browns forever. Um, you know, <laughs> you hope you're the New England Patriots and not the Cincinnati Bengals, right? Right, right. <laughs> Sorry, Ohio. I just really trashed you. <laughs> but that's, that's the course of it, right? There, there are ups and there are downs. There are rebuilding seasons. The, the startup doesn't die just because it's not necessarily doing business. We certainly talked about this before which is that you know, startups don't run out of money, startups don't go out of business, founders run out of money, and founders stop doing business, right? And, and that's a very different thing. But simply because you know, you, you'd have to mothball the thing for a while, or hell, this year, uh, last year, in 2020, people were regulated out of business for periods of time, right? They were told, like, you have to close your doors, you cannot open, you cannot let people in here, you cannot sell food, you cannot sell beverages, God forbid you were like a gym or something where people wanted to come and breathe heavy and, and, and sweat. Like, you just can't do that, right? So they were forced shutdowns too, which was something that, you know, I don't think in, in recent history, I can't think of a period in which we had the same level of, of mandated startup shutdown that we saw in 2020. And here's the thing. COVID obviously presented just an apocalypse, right, of shutdowns. But the, the little known fact is this has been happening all along. This is the nature yeah. of the startup cycle. Yeah, we just saw a higher concentration of it. Yeah, and, and, and it was so forced, right? And it was so public. I mean, if you had shown the media spotlight on the failure rate of your average startups on any year, it would seem like an apocalypse. The only difference is you know, <laughs> nobody's reading about it. Yeah, there wasn't a viral news story to, to, to accompany it. Yeah. yeah, the only way you get written up as a failure is if it was a really big failure, and, and therefore you're a success in a different way. Exactly. You got to have some HR violations in there. That always Listen, happens. shit happens all the time. And so I, I think where, where founders get stuck is at first they see things going sideways and they think, oh my God, 
I can't believe, you know, I did all these things wrong. I, I, I was steering the ship in the wrong direction. This is all on me. And it's, this isn't about an accountability thing. It's about saying, you know what? Yeah, that does tend to happen. It's actually not that unusual, right? Because like we always say, we're running into the abyss. And here's the thing. We're generally never operating with that much money to begin with, right? Maybe we saved a little money, we raised a little money, et cetera. We're like the gambler at the casino that's always on their last hand, right? And we're hoping the next hand will work and we're hoping we're going to make it work, but we're making bets and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes we have to leave the table for a while, <laughs> go go build our finances back up and try again. Go wash dishes and then come back with a pocket full of cash. Th- think about how hard it is for a founder who doesn't know that this is part of the process, right? That That doesn't understand that, hey, this actually happens to a lot of people and, hey, I might have to do this a few times, Right. In their mind, again, this is end of times. It's forever, right? Correct. Where in truth, this is probably just one step of many of a much, much, hopefully longer journey. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, you know, it's funny, but I'm thinking about it in terms of my, my youngest right now has just started preschool. And we dropped him off this morning for the second day. The first day, it was, it was, it was sort of okay because he didn't really know what was going to happen. The second day, he knew what was going to happen. And he completely freaked out, right? He completely lost his mind this morning because for him, this could be forever, right? Like, yeah, my parents came back and got me yesterday, but what's to say they're going to come back and get me today, right? It's like when a kid goes through object permanence for the first time, right? Like, I think there's there's some degree of this is like going through startup permanence, right? Yet the thing can continue to exist, right? It is an end of times. It's not all or nothing, right? There isn't, you know, a, a giant hole that it falls into at the end that you can never recover it from, Right? That's just not the case. But when you're going through it, especially for the first time, like you said, we're lucky in that, <laughs> lucky be uh, one way of looking at it, we're lucky that we've been through this enough times that we sort of know that this is part of the process. And, you know, we're flying the wall for thousands and thousands of other, of other founders and startups um, and get to live by proxy and see that, you know, everybody's going through the same thing. And that, you know, that there is life after shutdown, even for that startup, right? And I, and I think that's, we should make that clear. We're not talking about making multiple attempts at starting different companies. We're talking about multiple attempts at starting the same company, right? Very important point here. You know, early in my career, like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I basically ran out of money, had to shut the whole thing down when I was running an agency. And here's the thing. In retrospect, people looked at it and said, well, you had nothing to lose, right? And and to be fair, like, I grew up with nothing, so having nothing to lose sounds like hey, it's, it's an easy proposition. But funny thing about that, when you have nothing, having less than nothing is actually a problem <laughs> because you have nothing to pull from, right? Yeah. I mean, at, at the end of the day, if you have $0 in your bank account, got to eat somewhere. And so I was in this interesting position where the company had run out of money. I was about $100,000 in personal debt. I'm real debt, like credit card debt and stuff that people were actually coming to collect on that investor debt. And, and I was in a place where I just had no way to make money. I think I was like 21 at the time. So like my alternate job at the time, I think I was going to work at Best Buy 
like making five dollars an hour at the time. I just I just pictured that thing that's on the credit card statement. Remember, if you make the minimum payment, you will pay this off in thirty two point eight years. <laughs> I was looking at exactly that, and I was thinking about man, what a hole I have dug myself into, and I haven't even done anything yet. Like some people dig themselves in that hole, but they have a degree. Right? <laughs> I didn't even have that, and so in my mind, I thought about it like, well. At this point, I've lost everything. There were no fables about how people come back. There was just fables about how people end, right? You know, this is like dawn of the internet. You couldn't even Google it yet. Google it didn't exist. So you had no way to find out that the rest of the world was going through any of this stuff. And so I just assumed I was totally screwed. I made all these bad decisions, and I kind of expected to make them because I didn't believe in myself. But I made all these bad decisions, and I was in a spot where I guess I'm just the failure guy, right? I'm 21 years old. My career hasn't been set. I haven't done anything right at all in any capacity. So I guess I'm just going to be failure guy. So at that point, I thought about it. And I was like, you know, if I'm going to be failure guy, I at least may just like keep running this path because I'm going to be as much failure guy at this as anything else I go do. Like if I go get a shitty job somewhere, it's not going to really improve my my outlook <laughs> at all. Right, well. There's no upside at that point. You're going to stay in that same space, right? There's nothing to climb out of at that point. You're just relegating yourself to the bottom of the hole. It's just a, ver- a different version of the bottom. And so I said, look, I'm just going to keep running forward. Basically what that meant was I'm going to keep calling clients. I'm going to keep trying to get more work. I'm going to keep trying to fend off creditors for as long as I can. So stressful. But I don't really have another way forward. Like this is all I've got. In this point, like, at what point did you consider that it had shut down? And then this this part where then you jump back in and you start to reinvigorate, and you're like, well, I am just going to move forward. How long was that period? How long did you go where, for, you know, de facto, the startup wasn't operating? I would say nine months to a year. And I would also say that I didn't tell anybody we weren't operating, right? Uh I mean, (laughs) partially because I was embarrassed. But the other part was... I just assumed that if I just kept my feet going, I'd at least have a smaller version of the business that maybe I could just run by myself, you know, without staff. And so I was just, I mean, I was desperate. I was just holding on for something. What was the mindset like in, in that year? I want I wanted to talk about how that turns as we get closer to the end, whether it was a seminal moment, something happened, was it happenstance, a big client came along, but like how bad was the mindset during that year? It was really bad. I, I remember, I don't know why this sticks out the most. It was a long time ago. But I remember sitting across from my landlord. And it was just this, you know, he was a good enough guy. And he had just signed this new, like, shiny office space that we moved into, like, six months prior. And at the time, Ryan, I was so excited. I was telling him about future of internet. Like, I may as well have been describing, like, I'm building Google, right? Right. And he was like, oh, my God, you know, what a breath of fresh air. You know, you've got so much energy. And I just, it was like almost like a fatherly presence. Like, he just, he was so proud of me. And I remember going back to him and sitting across from him and not only feeling defeated, but feeling ashamed. And, and I'm trying to explain to him what's going on. And, and, like, I, I was, like, get, like, choked up. It was awful. And I just remember that moment so vividly. Like, and then all these things are racing through my head. Like, what are all the things that I did wrong? What could I have done differently? And he was so cool about it. Like, not at all what I expected. 
right? I mean, we were like six months into a three or five year lease. And he was like, look, stick with it. Just keep going. And I was like, huh? Like I, I expected to get railed, right? Like, I just assumed he was going to kill me. And he was so cool about it. He was like, look, this is part of the game, right? He didn't say it in the way where he was saying like, hey, you're going to come back. He more meant it like, yes, you're an abject failure. Maybe someday you'll start something else, right? <laughs> <laughs> it was a different keep your head up speech. But I guess what I'm saying is I remember walking out of there in that moment felt like the failure because we had lost our office space, which back then was like, you know, the, this, this pinnacle of your success. I had sat across from our small staff and said, hey, guys, uh, you know, we can't make payroll anymore. And we weren't paying that much to begin with, but it was all that people were making, including myself. And I went back to my college apartment, you know, and I was like, damn, man, like I put so many hours in. I have nothing to show for it. Like it, it was tough. It's demotivating, too. So, so then this is, this is the interesting part of the question then. So what changed, right? Like what flipped? Was there, you know, did a client come out of the clouds? You know, you just decided to not accept failure. You, you muscled through it. Like what was it? I would love to tell a story where I just had so much determination that <laughs> I was going to make it no matter what. And, and that sounds awesome. It's just not true. You're Leonidas at the, at the front of the 300, right? Yeah. I was like, look, my back was against the wall. I was totally screwed. I was embarrassed as hell. And I just didn't want to tell anybody that I had failed. And so what I did is I just kept going to clients like nothing had changed because I, I, you know, I could still pick up the phone and call somebody regardless of the status of the business. And we already had built up like a pretty good portfolio. We were doing some work for like Intel and BMW and all these great clients. So I just kept at it. And in the back of my mind thinking like, how am I going to find like, you know, a job at Best Buy or something in order to like pay my bills? And so... It just so happened later that year, we ended up consulting with what was in a small ad agency. We had a great relationship with them. We merged the agencies. Toward the end of the year, we had an opportunity to pitch uh, Eli Lilly, which is a pharmaceutical company, and we ended up having one of the most lopsided wins in agency history. We were about a 50-person company, and we won about $250 million a year worth of business, and now that's like a $7 billion company. But sort of didn't feel that way at the time. <laughs> you were failing. You went through a year of feelings of abject failure and depression, and then you turned to drugs. Did I get that right? Yes, yes. Actually, actually, that, that, that's a whole other podcast. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but seriously, like, look, I didn't know, right? I had no idea. Yeah. That's not how I saw things going. And I don't think anybody else does either, except I don't think folks also realize that there's usually a few of those you know, they're like, well, you know, if we lose all the money, that's it. This is a one-time shot. You get to go to the casino once, and if you lose it, you know, you're done. Not true. Yeah. People come in and out a few times, right? That's actually more the cadence than not. Think about with, like, you know, product launches that we've done within startups.com, where, like, we launch something, and, like, it just it blows up immediately, and it looks great. And then, like, months two, three, four, five, and it's just, like, heading exactly the other direction, and you're like, holy shit, what happened, right? Like, and, and, you know, do you give up at that point? No, you, you don't. You try to figure out, you know, what's, what's wrong. Like, and, and, and we've, you know, we've, we've axed products, you know, we've changed services. We've done a lot across this 10 years. We've been, I guess we were, we were big enough and, and diverse enough um, that we never went through a period within startups.com that I would say where we felt like we shut down, not even close. Actually, you know what, Ryan, I, I'm going to throw a curveball at you. That's almost partially not true. Virtual. Well, yes, but that happened. I'm, I'm, I'm not taking, <laughs> I'm not taking, I'm not taking credit for the, the the part where it went downhill first. Like we. But we what can't. if 
What a case study. It's part of our story. It's absolutely a case study. So if we're to look at Zirtual, that's, it's absolutely true. Here's a business, and I'll, I'll be mindful of, of what I share because there's, there's some folks that you know, want to keep certain things confidential. But here's a business in Zirtual.com, which we own, which we purchased five years ago, where that business went, went down overnight. They had 450 full-time employees and shut down within 48 hours. Mind you, yes, it went down in 48 hours. And what's, what's amazing is that like in the period right before that, it was going exactly the opposite direction. It was unbelievable. It was on startup unicorn trajectory, right? Like it was doing everything it wanted to be doing. And so, you know, some things went sideways for them internally. I won't get into the details of how it happened, but I can tell you that really within about a period of 48 hours, the business went from meteoric rise to we're shutting the whole thing down. I've never seen anything like it. Well, not true. Now I've seen one thing like it. Yeah. (laughs) And I'd never seen anything like it before. We ended up buying that business and turning it around and, you know, making this, this wonderful business that it is today. But think about that. That business at that moment it was end of days. Everyone was getting their, their pink slips. All the clients were getting let go. If you, if you Google it, you'll find out, you know, there's all this, this history about it. And yet, it ended up living a second life. That's literally the shutdown that we're talking about in the second version of it, right? Because... That was the real shutdown. Yeah, well, when we looked at the business, you know, we looked at it and said, hey, this, this business should not be shut down. Like, this business deserves a second life. And look, to be fair, we restarted that thing from scratch, right? You know, kind of burnt the whole thing down and started the whole thing up. But the point is that even for something like that, it's part of the damn cycle. It's a weird part of the cycle, right? But it does happen, right? And there is always a second path. There's always the, okay, shit, that didn't work out well. So what's that second path look like for us? The problem folks get into, and Ryan, I think you see this as well, is they assume the initial up and to the right trajectory is the only path of the business. You know, we start at zero and we just keep on growing. It's just not true. Sometimes you start at zero, you grow, you go back to zero, you grow for a while, you go back to zero or something close to it. That, that lumpy path, if you chart the real growth of a lot of companies, kind of looks like that. I just don't think anybody talks about it. No, we normalize the curves out and we say, you know, you know, generally speaking, it was growing over time. But yeah, when there, there are always these tumultuous periods, right? And bear in mind, right, you're also looking at a two-dimensional graph for what is a very 3D experience, right? <laughs> so there's, there's always more to the story than, you know, just looking at those growth charts. But, but even if that is what you're looking at, like, yeah, it is a very lumpy, undulating path that leads you from zero to one, one to a hundred, a hundred to a thousand, and so on. And like you said, it's, it's not always on that same path even, right? Like with, with Zirtual, to go back to that example, a lot about that business had to change. A lot about it was right. A lot about it was right, but not enough of it, and that's why it crashed. And the major changes had to be made but the core of the business is still very much the same, right? The business, it is still the same business, right? In terms of what it attempts to achieve, the value that it brings for its clients, um, its stated mission is essentially the same. How it's achieving that has changed significantly. Ryan, I had a friend of mine, uh, she called me up a couple weeks ago and she said she was looking to shut down her business. And we talked about it for a while. And one of the things that I started off with is, a shutdown is, you should view it first as a temporary pause. It never feels temporary at the time. It feels apocalyptic, yeah. and I get that. 
But a shutdown should also be considered what does V2 of this business look like, right? So if we talk about Zirtual, V1 of the business would have been 450 people and losing tons of money and trying to survive off venture capital, right? Yeah. And, and you know what? That's fine. It, it didn't work for some bizarre reasons, but it didn't work. So V2 of that business is going to be a differently run business, a profitable business, a business that's focused not on just hyper growth, but on meaningful growth, right? You know, basically find customers instead of investors to, to grow the business. And I think that for a lot of founders, if they were to really analyze their business and say, look, shit hit the fan, I'm going to have to do a hard stop. Okay. But is there a new version of this business, a V2 or a V3? That does make sense. There's always this baked in assumption that the current version of the business is the only version of the business. And I just, I think that's <laughs> worth debunking a little. You and I have seen this enough to just know how ludicrous that is. That's as if saying that like the day we sat down and scratched out the first notes around, you know, any of the businesses that we've started, that somehow we nailed it from day one and that that was going to just be perfect and that that was how it was going to be. Like, it's just never the case. Or said differently, if this was the most perfect version of the business, why are we out of business? You know what I mean? There are do-overs in this sport, right? There are absolute do-overs. And sometimes the do-overs are what define us as great companies, right? And so I think for us, you know, Ryan, when we look at you know, something like Zirtual or a lot of other businesses that we've either helped out, in some cases bought, et cetera, we, we look at the current version of the business, but what we really think about it is, what does the next version of the business look like, right? If you could reset all the decisions... What does that look like? And, and I think what that means for a founder is we need to learn how to manage a shutdown. Yeah. Right? Not just have one, but actually manage that process. If I were smarter, no, not smarter. If I were more experienced when I was 21 years old, I would have managed that shutdown. I guess I sort of did by, by pure desperation, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I would have done it more deliberately, not just out of pure desperation. You know, as we get toward the, the last lap here, what I would say the managed shutdowns is like maybe we, we come up with a couple bullet points. I don't want to torture it too much, but of what that management means, that's going to mean restaffing, recapping. That's going to mean uh, new customers. It's going to mean no office space. It's like, it's okay to burn it all down. Again, because we're talking about cycles. It's, it's okay to burn it all down and start it all up again. And you might have to do that again. And we'll talk about like something like what it meant for Zirtual. For Zirtual, it meant, you know, we had to kind of restart everything. We had to get all new clients, all new, you know, all new VAs, like everything. And yep. that's actually what, what made the business incredibly healthy. Yeah, and I think that's a great idea. Well, let's, we could probably make an entire episode out of just <laughs> managing the shutdown. So maybe we try to crystallize it into, into just a few pieces in terms of, you know, thinking about what, what does this really mean, right? The shutdown. And again, like you've, brought this up a couple times, I think it's a really valid point, is think about what the next version of the, of the business could look like, right? Because that is going to dictate how you manage the shutdown and to what degree you shut down, what parts of it you shut down. And look, none of this is easy, right? Because if you're talking about having to, you know, cut jobs, cut clients, cut your space, you know, anything where, you know, people were relying on you, it's it's going to hurt, but it may become necessary. But I think the the important caveat here is you need to be thinking of it in the context of what that next business is, because I've seen the converse, and you you and I have both witnessed poorly managed shutdowns <laughs> yeah. where it just it's somebody's just running around with a machete cutting off expenses 
without thinking about what happens next. And essentially, that's not managing a shutdown. That's just extending an inevitable death of the business. And I think it's important to understand the distinction between those two. And so being really, really clear on what that next version should look like is, is the first step. Because if you don't have that, then what are you managing towards, right? The softest landing of the death of your business, not really worth doing. Just let it, let it go if that's where you're headed. So, you know, I, I think that it's perhaps the hardest part is being able in that moment where this is starting to go off the rails to lean back far enough to gain perspective and to be able to invest the time and emotion to think about what does the next version of this look like? Not get so caught up in watching the business die, but thinking about what, what that rebirth could be. Now, knowing that there will be some really painful things you'll go through to get there, but this is how I would approach it. I would start by saying we really need to be clear on what a better version of this business looks like and then allow that to guide our actions as we begin to manage the shutdown. Okay, so let me build on that. One of the reasons I think we were so successful in keeping Zirtual going was that we basically, by definition, because we were brand new to the game, didn't have any of the old baggage with us, right? Right. And this is exactly what I encourage founders to do when they're in this situation. I said, instead of thinking about this like, hey, I'm managing the shutdown, so to speak, put a hard stop in it, put a chapter mark, and say, now I'm managing the next version of this business. And this is what I have to work with. Just as importantly, all the stuff that was holding me back or was dragging this thing down into bankruptcy or a shutdown, whatever it is, I'm going to just put aside for a second. And here's why I say that. Usually about this time, the stuff that's top of mind for a founder are relationships with our staff, of course, mm-hmm. relationships with our investors, if we have them, relationships with our creditors, et cetera. And all of those are important, so I'm not going to discount any of that. However, none of those are actually going to likely save our company. All we're talking about in that case are managing anchors, and we're looking for for ladders <laughs> to move up, not exactly. anchors to, dra- to drag us down. And so we kind of look at that and say, well, what are, you know, what are the things that are going to pull us up? Well, revenue is always at the top of the list. Ryan, when I mentioned earlier that my company had basically shut down the agency, but I just, kept get, I just kept selling, really all I was saying is only revenue was going to save me, right? Now, not every business when it shuts down has revenue. So again, your mileage may vary. However, if there is some revenue to be had, the first thing I do is circle the wagons around that revenue and say, if nothing else, we need to do everything we can to preserve or extend that revenue. And we'll manage that separately from all these liabilities, which are you know, creditors, investors, et cetera. Because if we can't get the revenue part working, the other parts don't matter. Like if we have to recap you know, the cap table or anything else like that, none of that matters if we can't get the, the next version of this business going. <laughs> There's no version of needing to put air in the tires if the engine doesn't start, right? Who cares? Great to put it. And, and so I think first up is, is there revenue to be had? Uh, sometimes that revenue is investment, you know, if, if we're raising, et cetera, and, you know, and we're, we're re- recapping or restarting that way. But really, if we're going to do our pie chart of what matters at that moment, all that matters is revenue in the form of customers or, or capital. Because the problem is that's not really what's on our mind at the time. 
because we're letting people go, because our investors are asking where their money went, or, you know, again, we have creditors, our landlord, everybody else coming after us. And we're thinking, well, I have to solve those problems. And, and, and we do. We can't ignore them entirely. But again, in the case of Zirtual, on Monday morning when that company was shutting down, their top priorities, appropriately, by the way, were what are we going to do with the investors? What are we going to do with 450 people that are W-2 employees? Uh, so on and so forth. And those are their biggest issues. When we came in, it's not that we ignored those, but those weren't our investors. So we actually just didn't have that same kind of one-to-one challenge. Those were now our employees because we owned the business, but we could look at that, that more methodically and say, okay, how many of these people can we afford to keep on? How many of the customers can we afford to keep on? So on and so forth. And we could just come in and do a very divisive kind of approach to the business. It wasn't easy. I think we slept for a month, right? Nope. But, but I think because we were able to, to start with such a laser focus, it's why it worked. And I think for founders they really need to get in that mindset. You know what I mean? Yeah. You need to figure out what that driving force is going to be, right? Like you said, mileage will vary and, and it may not always be revenue. Revenue is always going to be necessary, right? You're not going to continue to run a business without revenue. But in certain cases, you know, it, the employees may be so critical to the driving of the revenue, right? There may be something about that, that where that needs to be that core focus that like, we got to make sure we can keep the team together long enough that we can get back to revenue said differently without them there is no revenue then then that needs to be the focus right and again it needs to be understood what the retransform version of this thing looks like is and then you start to take the most critical actions like what are the biggest cuts you can make right if, if you need to trim this thing down what are the most important cuts you're going to make first to get you closest to that new form Right. Like, well, you know, in woodworking, right, you don't start with the detail work. You start with the concrete pad, right? Then you start with the frame and you get down to all those finished details later. So you got to figure out what's your pad? What are we going to build from? Right. And then what's the frame that, that we start to grow from and that we can start to build around? And that's absolutely true in the case of, of a startup as well, that you have to be good at assessing what's actually going to drive that. Now, one of the challenges is, if you're in this position where it's starting to fail, you may not have great perspective on that. And so I, I was thinking back to our virtual days uh, when, when, when that first happened, and I remember that we sort of lived on why, right? We were critically questioning everything, right? We didn't take anything for granted, and I think we were fortunate in that sense because we also didn't know anything. Like you said, we didn't know anything about the business, right? We came in and we had to learn and start to try to wrap our heads around everything. There's a danger when you're already running the business and you're the founder who's heading towards this bankruptcy or failure of some sort, shutdown of some sort, that you may not have it in yourself to ask all of the whys again, right? Because sometimes we feel like we've already done that. And I think that can be really, really dangerous. I think that the reason we were able to understand so clearly what we needed to do was by critically questioning everything. Well, this is what we do. Well, why? Why are we doing it that way? Why not this way? Do we need to do that at all? And that really let us rebuild that thing. And, and you know, it was the, the, the Phoenix from the Ashes story where, you know, it crashed, it burned. Um, we took the important pieces. We, we decided, and like you said, we focused on revenue, um, which, of course, was inextricably linked from the employees and the clients, because in the case of Zirtual, that is the business. That is the business model. That is where the revenue comes from. Um, so it's not that those things went by the wayside completely, um, but they were, you know, it was 
Everything was predicated on how much revenue can we recapture based on how many clients can we keep, therefore maximizing the number of, of people that we can keep employed, which was top of mind for us at that time. It was like, we want to keep as many people on this team as we can, and the path to that was revenue. You know, I think the biggest thing that founders need to come to terms with when they think about, hey, I'm going through this shutdown period, is I'm either committed to making a V2 of this business or I'm not. Yep. And so I think for the founders, it starts with not do I want to drag out V1. It starts with am I committed right now that, that I want there to be a second life of this business? And will I put on absolute tunnel vision as to what it will take to be successful for that next round and be able to do anything and everything I have to to focus on this next version of the business, kind of putting aside the last version of the business. I agree completely. I want to soften that just a little bit because I don't know that it's always just the commitment piece. I think that you also need to have the vision for what that V2 should be because it doesn't always happen, right? It's not always just a matter of commitment saying, I'm just going to stick this out. If you can't clearly see a V2, which happens sometimes, you just can't see past. Like I think I built the best version of this that I can. And sometimes it does happen, right? Let's not forget that not all ideas are great ideas. Some of them grow to a point and then they die for a reason. And maybe there isn't a V2 for that particular thing. Or maybe it's not within you to be the one to find that V2. And that's okay too, right? So I, I just want to be real, I want to be careful about the, the commitment piece because I don't want people to hear us saying it didn't work because you weren't committed enough to it. And I know plenty of people who overcommitted and actually spent way more time trying to keep something alive well beyond its livelihood um, simply because they felt like that was what it needed. I just have to stay committed, and if I do, this will work. But I absolutely agree with you, Will. Once you do decide on that V2, if you can see that clearly and you believe there's a better version, stay committed to it until you get to that version. If it still doesn't work, then, like you said before, rinse and repeat. Maybe there's a V3, or maybe there's not. And then you just kind of keep going through this. As we said, this is the process, and it will repeat. And that's okay. That's a wrap for this episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan on behalf of my partner, Will Schroeder, and all the Startups.com family thanking you for joining us. And... We hope you'll continue to join us. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment on iTunes or wherever you love to listen to Startup Therapy. You can find all of our episodes at startups.com slash podcast. If you're looking for more amazing resources to launch or grow your startup, be sure to head to startups.com and check out Startups Unlimited. It's everything we have to offer from our online university to our amazing community of experts and founders, and even all the tools we've built like BizPlan, Fundable, and LaunchRock. It's everything a founder needs. Visit startups.com slash begin. That's startups.com slash B-E-G-I-N. You'll thank me later. Thank you.